Welcome back to the Project 24 Blogging Podcast. This is episode 195. so much for joining. My mic is like moving and I'm trying to follow it here. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. It's the first uh, time in the new year that we have everybody here, Ricky, Nathan, and I, Anna. And so happy new year. Yeah, we're so glad to be back and we're all back in the office getting in the swing of things. So, all right. So today we want to talk about uh, one of our newest projects. We've got a couple now going on. This one we just talked about in one of the recent Income School YouTube videos. And uh, this is a site that Ricky's been really passionate about, and all of us are, but we're not necessarily uh, releasing the the niche of this site, right? So can we right. talk a little bit about kind of what the premise of this project is? Yeah, um, it's actually funny because this was something that I've been planning for a while, but then um, actually somebody, I think in Project 24 said, income school should do this. I can't remember if it was a comment on a YouTube video or, um, or if it was in the community, but we recently started talking about our charity site that we're going to build very publicly. Mm -hmm. And someone said income school should also build a secret website that they don't tell us about, um, at the same time. And I'm like, yes, that's a great <laughs> idea. And so, and I, and that was in the plan. Um, the plan with this one though, is to basically take the, strategy that Nathan and I talked about in a YouTube video a year ago mm -hmm. and put it into practice. And that is to take the principle of Project 24 and condense it, just crash it into one year mm -hmm. <laughs> and attempt to achieve a full-time income, a $4,000 mm -hmm. um, a month blog within one year. And so that means focusing on a lot of content up front. Um, it means doing everything we can to try to encourage that content to be indexed and to rank more quickly than usual. It's going to mean I'm absolutely going to be using video to help yeah. support this blog. Yeah. Honestly, that's a strategy that we should all be doing. If you have any reason to not do video, consider your reasons for why mm -hmm. you don't want to do video and try to determine if there's any way you could overcome them because mm -hmm. it's going to get more important. And we'll continue to talk about this over time, but we have to show that we're real mm -hmm. <laughs> and we have to show we we're going to have to show EAT with AI doing what it's doing. I'm not, there's things that are concerning about it and things that aren't, I don't want to shift the topic to AI, but, uh, and I'm going to make a video about this really soon. But, um, one thing is that there are a lot of bloggers who want a shortcut and I know that they're generally not project 24 members. You guys are doing it. Um, right. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot who want a shortcut. And those who used to spin content are now like, well, why would I even spin it now? I'm just going to let the AI write mm -hmm. my articles for me. Yeah. Um, and the AI is sounding more and more human. Well, the easiest way for Google to weed out AI content is to weed out sites without EAT. Yeah. And so EAT is just going to get more and more and more important. And one of the best ways to show that you're real is to make video. Yes. So anyway, I'm going to be doing that. There's a lot. Um, you can see the whole strategy on the YouTube video, but that's the point here is one to show that it's still doable. Um, not only is project 24 doable, but rather it's actually doable to, <laughs> to, to speed it up. Right. Um, and just, I don't know, it's kind of once more proof of concept, but also experimenting with a little bit of a new concept and in some ways experimenting with some 
strategies that aren't necessarily part of our formal process mm -hmm. to see if we can speed up, um, speed up this whole, speed up the results really. Right. So that's where we're at. Um, I guess, I mean, what do we want to talk about? What, what would be most helpful for, for you guys to hear about related to this? Because I want to make this project as open as I can without revealing it because I want to have as organic mm -hmm. growth as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then I'll reveal it at the end of the year. And so I'm curious to know, and feel free to talk about it in the community, what would be the most helpful stuff for me to show, to, for me to share um, in an open way? I, I will talk about what I accomplished and what results we achieve over time throughout the year. But beyond that, you know, should I be talking about, here's a strategy I tried, here were the results. Um, uh, are there strategies you think I should try <laughs> that you'd like me to experiment with on, on this site? Um, I'd love to hear about that. But, um, you know, also for this discussion, what mm -hmm. do you guys think? Like what could, what do you guys think would be most helpful to discuss in, in terms of our strategy or plan or what we're doing with this site? Yeah. I actually had <clears throat> some of these questions for you as I, so I watched the YouTube video. I thought it was great by the way. Um, <laughs> well done Ricky. Um, but I had a couple questions for you specifically about kind of like where we're going to go with it. I mean, it's yeah. right now as we record, it's the ninth mm -hmm. of January and so I guess my question would be for you is, well, what's next? I know that we, you know, all of us here are going to play a part in that. Um, you're kind of heading up the project. So I imagine there needs to be some search analysis done, um, some writing done. What are some of your thoughts or ideas about kind of what that is going to look like and then who's going to do what? Um, yeah. You know, that's not, maybe not super, super in the weeds, but kind of um, as far as categorization and obviously we won't get into all those details, but yeah. Um, you know, so in the strategy, it's just like we're talking about in project 24, I'm going to start with three mm -hmm. subcategories. And for that, I wanted to get as quick a start as I could at the beginning of the year. Yes. So, um, I just went through with Julie, my wife, um, and like I had already gone through and just listed out several categories and then subcategories that I thought were relevant for the niche right. and that were interesting to me. Um, and I've added multiple subcategories since then where I was like, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. Or as I'm doing search analysis, it's like, oh yeah, that's another one I didn't consider. But then I took a few that I, that I have, that I believe would have um, quite a bit of search volume, mm -hmm. but where I feel like I could find at least a handful of really low competition search queries. Um, it's really important. And the principle of the response post, a lot of this, a lot of the success of project 24 um, has come out of this. And that is that the more content you have ranking well, the more authoritative Google views your whole site. And so when we can get those early wins, it helps lift the authoritativeness right. of the site. Now we have to build upon that. You can't just rely on ranking for a whole bunch of really low competition search queries, but that's a great starting point And it's really launched a lot of websites to success. So I need to find some of those. And so what I did was I picked three. Awesome. Um, and I started some search analysis. I haven't been able to put as much time as I'd like into it, but I got a, I got a start on my search analysis for it. Um, and a cup, one or two of the subcategories I picked, I'm seeing that they're a lot more competitive than I expected, Okay, but I'm willing to figure it out. Um, I'm willing to succeed there mm -hmm. to work on that. Mm -hmm. 
And so here's what I'm thinking is I'm going to take those three subcategories. I'm probably going to try to find at least more like 20 okay. articles in, in each, maybe, maybe more like 15. And then with those, I want to go through them and on as many as possible. I want to provide notes at least for writers. And that might be something that we can kind of right. do as mm-hmm. a team. Cause it's yeah, a lot of definitely. work to, to do that. And for all of you in project 24, if you do utilize, um, outside writers, if you utilize our service or another one, you've probably seen you get better content when you give more yes. guidance. Yep. <laughs> um, and so I want to provide as much guidance as I can and then get that content written very quickly mm-hmm. and then go through each article uh, as it comes back and ensure that it's accurate, ensure that it's written in a way that I'm happy with and then do the interlinking that I'm already planning in the search analysis stage because I'm, I'm doing search analysis almost like cluster by cluster right? rather than just like, well, here's a subcategory. It's like, okay, but within that, oh, I kind of found this topic. Okay. Well for this article, what are the other five articles that would need to be written for it to be fully fleshed out? And I'm adding those. And so I have a cluster. Um, so I have a few clusters already ready to go. Um, and I'm trying to decide, do I try to get to 50 or 60 articles and then mm-hmm. send it off? Or should mm-hmm. I just send off the 25, right. 30, right. 40 that I have right now? Um, but yeah, Very I need cool. to just get content on there as quick as I can. Because my goal was to have the first 170 articles written in about three months. Okay. Um, now, I talked about in the video by month three, four, five, starting video. I think I might start it even sooner. Yeah. Um, as soon as possible. And maybe kind of if you could talk through just some of the ways that the video element is one that we've been talking about a lot. Um, and I think, you know, we've covered individually some of the ways that the video is helpful, but I think there are, it's kind of multifaceted. There's quite a few reasons why video is helpful. Maybe you could talk through just a couple of those. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's probably easiest with examples. So I'll take the charity site, which is about off-roading, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I want to write an article about, something to do with ATVs. Uh, For example, uh, there's an article that I wrote on a YouTube video several years ago that's why do ATVs backfire. Now that article has a little bit of science um, explanation in there and a lot of explanation of just sort of like why they do, what you can do to prevent it or to fix it, and as well as like an explanation of what is going on when backfiring is happening. And so... What if in a video I could show that and you could hear the sound of backfiring? And what if I could, you know, if, if I know what I'm doing, what if I could tweak my ATV to make it fuel rich mm-hmm. so you can hear and see what that sounds like? Right. Um, and then what if I make it air rich and see what that backfiring sounds like um, and see what the differences are and then show you how I adjusted the fuel level, the you know, the fuel um, injection or whatever, Um, really it's in a carburetor in most ATVs, but so that like you can get it just right and then minimize backfiring. What if I could, you know, show that in a video, Mm -hmm. it'd be way more helpful than me just giving you general advice in an article saying, well, if your ATV is backfiring, here are the things to look at. What if I just showed that real quick Mm -hmm. and then put a video clip there in my blog post? Now I have a video that supports the blog post. If I'm reading the post I'm benefited by that video. But also I have a video that can rank for 
you know, how to fix a, a backfiring ATV um, just on YouTube and on right. Google search. Right. So, so we can drive traffic that way. So we made the, the content more helpful. But now we also proved that we knew what we were talking about. Right. Um, and I think that is where it benefits the whole rest of the site. Mm -hmm. That if we, if we try to include that in as many articles where it makes sense, where there's something visual to show or auditory um, to hear, if we can include that in a video format, then it lends authority to the rest right. of the right. website. Yeah, I love, I love that there's like just the basic helpfulness element to the content. Not only that, but then you can potentially drive traffic a whole nother way. I mean, if the traffic comes straight to the video and then from the video they could end up on the website, then you're getting additional traffic that way. But then also the eat element, yeah, you know, the authority and the uh, just you knowing or Google, especially knowing that you know what you're talking about. So I think that's one reason why we heart, we're harping on this so hard um, is that there's such, it's just a huge value add uh, for multiple different reasons. You know, and if people are wondering like, hey, I'm with the Zoic and they have Flickify that will make videos out of my blog content for me. What do you think about that? I know that question is like in somebody's mind right now. Yeah, I, I got that question in a mastermind the other day. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely will not use it. And it's not because I might give the impression that I'm like anti tools of any kind and anti AI and all that. No, I'm just anti crappy content, right? Right. We're in the content space and we want to create content that yeah, I am a firm believer from experience as well as just my principles that like, if you create value that people want, mm -hmm. you will make money from that. Right. As long as you can get that in front of the people who want it. Right. And so if my goal is to create as much content as possible and trick people into reading it through SEO or whatever, um, but it actually doesn't help them, then the amount of money I am able to make from that is going to always be limited. And Google's going to figure it out. And so I'm always going to have to be making new websites. I'm just going to be on a treadmill, right? right. Mm -hmm. If instead I create a brand that people can relate to and I create really helpful content, now I have the opportunity to take a potentially even a relatively small audience and monetize it extremely well mm -hmm. because the value that I provide mm -hmm. goes way above and beyond. Like those are two options. And that one is way more evergreen. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's my preference is to not create garbage content. Right. Well, AI video is not, it's not going to do well. Um, we teach in project 24, we teach uh, the, the different archetypes, right? There's the information, but then there's connection and entertainment. And even on an information channel, you're most successful when you have at least some of the right. other two. AI videos do not have the other two. They just mm -hmm. don't. You don't connect with a non-human. Uh, my wife showed me a friend of hers. So she's in an orchestra. She plays the trombone. And a friend of hers sent her a message with a link to a YouTube video mm -hmm. that was, and he just said, this is the best trombone video ever. And she clicks on it and starts watching it. And the script, 100%, I can guarantee you the script was written by an AI. It's read by a robot, a fairly human sounding robot, but a robot nonetheless. You can tell. Like, we humans know what humans sound like. It's not a real human. The video footage is all B-roll footage clipped together. The AI picked it. We, I know how this works. And 
I think it flashed a trombone on the screen for like four seconds mm. in the whole video. They just showed a whole bunch of different orchestra instruments and um, they even had like rock bands playing on a stage and just like all sorts of other things that were music, right? And then this this video just goes through talking about what a trombone is um, and then just goes off talking about other instrumentation as well and kind of coming back to the trombone. But it just was like everything it said in the video I think was probably factually correct. But at the end of the video there was absolutely zero value in watching right. it. It was not helpful in any way. And if you use that video to understand what a trombone is, you know almost nothing more now than you knew before you watched <laughs> the video. That's where AI video is. Mm -hmm. And I don't foresee it getting a lot better because how do you program, or, you know, how do you train an AI to be entertaining when entertainment is constantly evolving? Right. Right? How do you train an AI to build connection with people? It just... Uh, we're not anywhere close to that. Yeah, AI is disruptive technology. It is going to change the way we do things in the world. But I think video is pretty safe. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of blogging is pretty safe too, but not all of blogging. Um, wow, I'm really getting into the AI space. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I've been spending a ton of time just talking and thinking through AI, watching videos, trying to learn everything I can about what's going on. And... Um, anyway, YouTube video coming out soon, and we, maybe we do a whole podcast about yeah, yeah. ChatGPT, AI, AI video, all that stuff because <laughs> um, it is going to disrupt things. Yeah. But with some minor adaptations, we're going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. A lot of bloggers are not, but I think we are. Yeah. Well, and by we'll, we, I mean all of us, Project Twenty Four <laughs> right. people. We'll put that on the docket for an upcoming <laughs> uh, podcast. Um, but just to uh, put it out there. What exactly is the timeline for this project? What what are our dates? Yes. So um, the video came out. It was the first video of the year, which was on January 2nd, 3rd, January 3rd. Um, and I didn't start working on it before that. So we'll count like first of the year is when the project starts. So basically it's this year, 12 okay. months. So I have till the end of December <laughs> to get that website to earn at least $4,000 in a single month. If I fail, if I fall short, then every $100 short of that that I am, I have to run a mile. So if the site earns no money, I'd have to run 40 miles. That's a long way to run. <laughs> um, even, if it's, even if I make it halfway there, which, by the way, is a decent accomplishment mm -hmm. um, to get a website to $2,000 a month, I'd still have to run 20 miles. Okay, so... That's still a lot. It's still a lot of running. Um, <laughs> so I got to... A lot of uh, work to do to make yeah. sure this works. Um, and believe it or not, I don't have the amount of free time to work on this that some of you would potentially think I do. I get a lot of, we get a lot of um, comments, mm -hmm. mostly on YouTube, <coughs> maybe sometimes in the community of like, why haven't they done this? Why haven't they done that? With all their resources. And it's like, with, we're a small team. And we create a boatload of content um, for Project 24. Yeah. We create a lot of content for YouTube for our main channels. And it leaves very little for our other stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yes, we have writers. But any of you who have outsourced content to writers know that you can't scale that infinitely. You need a really good editing and publishing process. You need, um, there's just a lot to it. And if you want to add video into that too, there's a ton you add to yourself. So 
there's more than enough work in this project for me as well as even for our team to do, but also keep up with everything else we're doing. Um, So it is like, it is risky. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to put the time in that we need to, to make this work, but, but that's it. That's the the goal. That's the timeline. Um, Basically achieving the project 24 goal, but in 12 months. Awesome. Yes. As well as the other new project we're working on. As well as the other new project. The other brand new website that we have to keep up with because it's very public. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So that's that. Uh, We will continue on to a couple questions here from the community. The first one is from Adriana writes and she says, how do you make 10 videos in the first month when your niche is seasonal and there's nothing to show outside? Okay. So this is a little bit YouTube related, but she's also been working on a blog for a while and now she's going to be working on a a YouTube channel more. So she says, I have a two-year-old gardening blog with a supporting YouTube channel that has about 550 subscribers. I only make like 26 videos in two years and didn't have the time or brain space to focus on them. Many, many, sorry, videos complement my articles, so I'm happy about that. The blogging world is changing, and I'd like to grow my YouTube channel now. I love Nate's guidance, but it's only less than three, and I'm already stuck. Looking at the timeline, how can I possibly make 10 videos in January and release them slowly when there's nothing to show in the garden? How would you address your seasonals channel's growth? Would you publish two so-and-so videos per week or one polished video per week. I might be putting on too much on my plate again, but I'm thinking I might just do this if I am not so picky about quality. What do you guys think? So a um, couple things. One is that there are dozens of ways that individuals may need to adapt mm-hmm. the specific instructions from Project 24. Um, seasonality is one of those. But there are so many different individual circumstances that might make the specific guidance, like film 10 videos, um, might make that not feasible for you. That's okay. Make the adaptation you need to make. And that's fine. Now, so what do I do in the situation of seasonality here? Um, First of all, I start by trying to not self-limit. So... I am somebody who does a fair amount of gardening and I am already right now preparing to um, start a bunch of seeds in my garage with a grow light. I can absolutely make video about yeah. that kind of content. Um, I, uh, there's a lot of other things too. I mean, even out in the garden, um, there are things I do in the late fall uh, to make sure that I sort of put it away for the year. Um, but even now, like <laughs> I have carrots in the ground that I harvest as I use them because they actually store better in the ground than they do in my pantry. <laughs> they'll, they'll go like carrots from your garden, like will just go soft. Mm-hmm. But if you leave them in the ground while it's basically frozen outside, they stop growing and they'll just preserve there mm-hmm. and you can pull it out the day you want it. Now the ground might be hard, but you can dig it out the day you want it mm-hmm. and you will have fresh, delicious carrots. Now do the carrots freeze? They do underground and they're yeah. fine. In fact, Perfect. I mean, we buy frozen, you can buy frozen carrots at the store too. Yeah. Like carrots don't, there's some fruits where like if it freezes, when it thaws, it's like nasty, especially as a whole fruit, like, like tomatoes. Yeah, that's gross. That's yeah. weird. Um, there's a lot that if you just, if it freezes on the ground and then you picked it up later, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this yeah. is like, um, but there's, I mean, there's stuff you can do. There's stuff you can show. 
um, a lot of people are going to be starting to do some preparation or research about gardening who are thinking about doing it in the spring. They're going to be starting in February and March. Is there something I can do in January that I can film um, to talk about that? Um, even garden planning, right? Where it doesn't have to be outside. Right. Um, here's the space I have. So here's how I'm going to plan the layout of what I'm going to plant this year. Um, so many different things that we could probably come up with. But by assuming that every video about gardening has to be filmed outdoors in the garden with green stuff, that, that's self-limiting. So that, that's kind of number one. Number two is with these projects, um, we can adapt the schedule, the timeline. Um, and we've talked about this before, but we can adapt it based upon the seasonality and we can focus on the things that are optimal for that time. So spring, summer, fall, I'm getting as much B-roll footage, making as many videos and taking as many photos as I can. And then in the off season, I'm writing a bunch of content. Uh, and then great, then you can publish that and you've got all the footage, you've got all the, the photos, you got all of that ready for you. Um, so if right now you're on that side of it, this side of it where maybe you don't have all that stuff ready yet, right? Well, do a bunch of search analysis, write the articles to go with it, plan the videos you want to make when the time comes, and then you'll have the brain space to go film 50 videos this summer or 75 videos this summer because you'll have already prepared them. Mm -hmm. And like one of the worst things that sucks time from us is when we come up with a great video idea. Oh, but we need to publish it like next week. And oh, but I need to order something. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it just puts such a crunch on it and it takes up so much energy where it's like, you know, if you've got time right now, perfect. Let's yeah. plan like crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like you said uh, earlier, I mean, March, that's not very long away. away. <laughs> right. It's good time to get ready for it. And I would encourage yeah. you, um, I th think I said this before, but look on YouTube, do a little bit of your drafting, see who's out yeah, there, who's very do. successful and, and what are they doing during the off time, during the winter time. I'm sure they're not just stopping <laughs> Of recording and publishing or maybe they Good recorded point. prior but i'm sure they're doing some you know off-season type right. things as well yeah that's one of the things that kind of immediately came to my mind is maybe you're in kind of the situation this off-season just because you just started the project now um, but they're like ricky said do some prep and planning so that you can kind of get into a routine over this next gardening season but then next year when it comes into the off-season be ready for it have all the B-roll, have all the ideas, you know, be ready to film some videos indoors, have a space, you know, and if you're ready for it, then it'll just feel like you're doing it as normal. And then that yeah. can kind of be the, that can just be what your audience expects. You know, you're out in the garden during the on season and during the off season, maybe you're in a little greenhouse or maybe you're, you know, have a little room that's set up to kind of look like um, a, a filming space for a gardener, you know, like just yeah. have plants in your house. Or, I mean, we talked about indoor growing. Yeah. Like there's, there's just a thousand different ways, but um, yeah, don't be too discouraged here. I think that there's plenty that you could be doing now, whether it's actual filming or just preparation. Um, but overall, there's always work to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. And think about there's different climates all over the world, you know, True. different countries have warmer weather yeah. right now than we do in the U S so uh, you could, you know, gear content toward that as well. All right. So next question is from Daniel 
Yes. And they say, when I write blog posts, I frequently find useful information on competing websites in my niche, as well as competing blog posts for the same search query. For example, I would like to quote a quote from Reddit or Quora that I found, but the issue is that it appears for the same search query for which I am writing the article. I will probably still provide the link to the quote if I decide to use it, but I'm wondering whether adding this link from a competing website will make it harder for my post to rank. Any help would be much appreciated. A quick update. I found some info saying that it is okay to link to the competition, but I'm still wondering if I should link to a blog post that is directly related to the one you're writing. Um, so I guess two things for me. First of all, I don't have any issue with linking to another piece of content if that's where I got the quote. Even if it's ranking for the same search query, I don't think from an SEO standpoint that makes it harder for you to rank. The second point though is I try to minimize the amount of research I do on other people's blog posts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm probably not going to quote another blogger almost ever unless they're like the expert and... I'm, you know, I'm saying like this person who is, who is well known, they said this and I agree with them or, and I disagree with this point. Um, and then I would link to where the quote was, even again, if it's ranking for the same thing. We do this in YouTube videos um, where we say, hey, here's what a bunch of other YouTubers say about this. And this YouTuber says this, and this YouTuber says this. I disagree. Mm -hmm. Well, they're both ranking for the same thing. Now I know YouTube search algorithm and Google's blogging algorithm, uh, you know, SEO, our search algorithm are not the same, but it hasn't, it hasn't been an issue. Now, if I look at other blog posts at all in preparing to write an article, it will be more to just get kind of creative ideas going about things I would want to include topics I would want to include, but I'm not going to take what another blogger said and then write the same thing in my own words mm -hmm. or even quote them very often because then I really am like lending, like I'm, I'm using their expertise right. and not any of my own. It's far more valuable for me to do more original research um, or more scholarly research. You know, if, you know, I often will like to quote um, an article from Google Scholar that is not showing up in a normal web search result because that's not the content people are looking yeah. for, but it has some really interesting statistic or whatever, um, or just, fact or a finding from a study, right? Um, I think Quora and Reddit oftentimes can make a lot of sense because you're providing a quote from another individual um, who responded on Quora and who a lot of people upvoted, right? And so you're kind of borrowing that authoritativeness, but it's more of a user-generated authority. Almost right? like social proof or yeah. social, social interest. Proof, yeah. It. Yeah. So those make sense to me. Quoting another blog post that ranks for the same thing, I probably won't really ever do yeah <laughs> i know that as i've written blog posts over the years um it is easy or easier to fall into the i will call it a trap of quoting or finding information on other people's blog posts when the reality is there's so much more value of taking maybe they have a great idea maybe they have some an interesting quote or interesting data but but if you make the choice to go find it for yourself, you know, maybe someone ran a test, but you 
you're not quite sure about their results and you want to find out, you know, find out if you would get the same results, run the test yourself. Yeah. And then you become the authority or you will over time become the authority as you do these types of activities over and over. It takes more time. Yeah. It takes more planning. It takes more preparation. But overall, the value is so much higher because like the person who asked the question here said, I, I'm a little bit, it feels a little weird to link to someone when they actually have really good information. I'm trying to compete with them. It is weird. Yeah. Um, and kind of like what you said, Ricky, I like the idea of when we look at other people's blogs, it's almost more of like, I am really just want to see what's out there. Yeah. I want to see, okay, what type of resources are they offering? Did they miss anything? Is there yeah. anything that I could add that would make my blog post my blog post more valuable? Or maybe they did something and they have it in their blog post, but I think I could do it better. Yeah. It's those opportunities where you can come out on top instead of just kind of taking what they have and then quoting them or uh, linking back to them. There's just so much more value in doing it for yourself. Yeah, one of the easy things to do is like take the search query you're trying to rank for, Google it, take the top three search results, and then basically write your aggregation of what they all said. Um, and that doesn't really add much to right. the web, right? I, uh, Building on what you said, Nathan, I, I like to look at, if, I'm, if I am looking at another blog post, it's kind of like when you're in school and you look at Wikipedia before, to write a research paper. If you're citing Wikipedia, your teacher's like, right. F, right? right? Like <laughs> Wikipedia is not a source it's user-generated content. Um, yes, it's curated, but it's curated by other users, right? Mm -hmm. And at any point in time, misinformation can easily right. be posted there. Mm -hmm. Now, um, but you can look at Wikipedia to get an overview of the topic and then to go look at the sources that are cited for the information that's presented, right? And so if you see some fact there that you're like, oh, that would be really helpful for my research paper, and you see, oh, there's a footnote associated with it. Here's the source. And you go look at the source. The source gives you the full context. Right. And it's the legitimate source. And that's what you cite for your research paper. It's a perfectly fine starting point, but it's not where you go for the fountain of knowledge. You know, <laughs> you need to go, by the way, um, for any language people out there, fountain, um, it comes from the same root word as source, not in English, but the the Latin. So anyway, when the fountain of knowledge is like the source of knowledge, right? And so um, we want to go to the source of the knowledge as, as often as possible. If that's who we're citing is like the, the person who did the study or the person, you know, if uh, we're looking at food safety and rather than citing some other blogger who aggregated a bunch of data from, you know, the, um, what is it? The USDA mm -hmm. Department of Agriculture, mm -hmm. yep. whatever. You just go to the USDA's website and cite it for yourself, right? Find the specific recommendation right. they made and say, look, the USDA says this. My experience says this. You know, <laughs> one of the examples on Cook for Folks, every search result you find for how long can you leave out butter says like four hours to leave it out of the fridge. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like, I, if I put it in the fridge, it's too hard. I can't right. spread it on toast, right? right. You need yeah. to be able to spread your butter. And so... I get out a stick of butter. I put it on the butter tray. We have a covered one that's, you know, ceramic. Yeah. And so it's it's great. It keeps it. And it stays there until it's gone. Right. 
I just which realized. will last several days, and nobody <laughs> has a problem with that. I've never seen mutter, or sorry, butter with mold on it. <laughs> right? right, right. It's going to get used before it goes. Yeah, back, right. Yeah. We do the same thing. Everybody does that, but if you Google it, all of the search results will tell you what the USDA says. Four hours, I right. think, is the answer. I think they have to say that. They have to say that. Yeah. But as a blogger, you can say the official recommendation right. for safety purposes is four hours. But in my experience, this is not what people do. I have found that over the course of, and maybe you actually like time it, like maybe for the next three weeks, you, you see how long did that stick of butter last? Like how many days right. before it ran out and I got out a new one? And you can say, on average, in my home, butter stays out for 10 days mm -hmm. before I get out a new stick, before mm -hmm. it's gone. And I have never noticed an issue with taste, and I've never gotten sick from right. it. So my experiential knowledge tells me that at least 10 days. Yeah. But officially, right. it's four hours. Right. Like, you can say that as a blogger. And yeah. so do your own study and cite the official source. Right. Yep. But I'm not going to just say what everybody else says and everybody else says what land of lakes says. They're the ones that they make butter and they rank number one for that. Um, and they say they tow the party line. They say what the USDA says. Yeah. Mm. Um, four hours. Right. At, full stop. Four hours. Yeah. Let's well, get a poll out there in the community. Right. How long do yeah, you long leave do you your, your butter, butter out? <laughs> but that's the value of blogging. Like right. as we talk about AI and all of this, it's that experiential knowledge mm -hmm. that uh -huh. will keep us valuable you know the u whoever does the studies whoever's kind of the governing body whatever they're going to have their answer right and that's something that answer is something that ai could easily pull yeah. four hours but the ai is not going to be able to have the experience that you have to know that oh anna leaves her butter out 15 days ricky does 13 you know it's just like that's something that the ai fine. doesn't have right <laughs> and it's fine so anyway that's like a really great example really simple example but that's the value we can add that AI never will be able to, and AI will always try to provide right. the most official answer. Right. And I think all of us listening know that there are many places where the most official answer is not the most true answer. Mm -hmm. It's just the one that w is least likely to get people sued. Right. <laughs> right. It's least likely to get the government sued or pharmaceutical companies sued or right. the butter manufacturer sued. Yep. And then there's common sense out there. Right. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else today? I don't awesome. think that's it for me. Right. Enough, enough ranting about Lots AI. Lots of rants of butter and AI today. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Project 24 is a product of Income School LLC. Results mentioned are not typical. The trademark Project 24 refers to the goal of some people to create a successful business in 24 months, but is not a promise or guarantee of that success. Many online businesses fail because, like any business, it requires hard work, skill, and dedication. Before making business decisions, consult financial and legal professionals licensed in your jurisdiction. So in short, the only person who can make your business successful is you. We are simply here to provide information to help you along the way.